Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Ryan Archidak, and I shout out to the Bulls HQ podcast. All the way from Australia, we represent, and thanks for all the support. Bulls fans, welcome to Bulls HQ, Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the show. Recording this a few hours post the draft, I've had a well, I've had a few hours to uh, to sit on my thoughts, to marinate on my thoughts about how it all transpired. I don't know if my thoughts have necessarily changed, but I'm, I'm happy to be joined joined today by my old mate Morton Jensen, who is here to. Now, help me talk about the draft. Help me review about review the draft itself. Help me help me talk through the Io Dosumu selection by the Chicago Bulls. I'm of two minds, Maud. I'm of two minds. We're going to talk about obviously about the draft about how it relates to the Bulls, the draft more holistically, maybe even beyond the draft. There was a few trades that were happened before the draft itself, and we're also going to, going to talk about free agency as well because that's probably the most important thing now post the draft here for the Bulls. But uh, yeah, firstly, mate, thank you for coming on. It's been a while. How you been? Oh, thank you for having me, and I, I've been well. How about you, Dad? Like, how is uh, how how is parent life for you? And congratulations uh, once again. Yeah, thank you, mate. It's uh, it's been interesting. It's been good in a good way. I mean, I'm definitely not sleeping much. Um, <laughs> that that that's that's certainly a thing, and that's happening, which I'm, I'm assuming most parents can attest to. But uh, it it has been good. Uh, little little Ted has uh, entered the world. He's like nine, ten weeks old now. So uh, this is his first draft that he's he's gone through. Not not that he was uh, watching it with with me, but uh, which is probably a good thing because I was I was mad online there for a little bit. But uh, yeah, parenthood has been good. It's been fun, and uh, I'm enjoying it thus far, despite the uh, limited sleep. I'll put it that way. Nice. Yeah, you see, see on my on my regular show, the NBA podcast, I, I of course have my co-host Brian Toporek, who's also a yeah. new dad. So I can't seem yeah. to avoid new dads whenever I podcast, which is great. Uh, my my youngest just turned two, so this is to, and my younger brother had uh, a son as well uh, in the in the late uh, spring. So there are kids all around. It's summertime. It's uh, it's fantastic. So I'm so glad to hear that 
you're enjoying it. And uh, yeah, it's the sleeping part. You know what? That's not going to get better. Like you, you might as well just <laughs> over the next 18 years or so, you're just going to, because it's, it's not even the initial worry. It's just like the long-term worries as well. Just, as a dad, you'll never sleep entirely well again. That's just how it is. Yeah. I'll, look, I'll, I'll, I want to say you're wrong, but I, I can't <laughs> say you're wrong because you've gone through this before so twice and you, you've got two on me sort of thing. Or, well, I mean, you've got one on me now that I've got my one, but you've got years of experience on, on me, I'll say that. But uh, I'll, I'll take your word for it. But um, <laughs> yeah, the, the whole worrying part, like that that's an issue for me. Like worrying about things was a problem for me before this, let alone now I've got a kid. And uh, yeah, I'm always, I'm always having these strange thoughts of like, is he okay? Yeah, am I doing this? Am I doing that? Uh, if I do this wrong, what is going to happen the the worrying has uh reached peak levels but um yeah anxiety is not the greatest of things but uh it's it's reached peak levels but at the same time maybe that's being offset by uh some other some other quality emotions but uh, <laughs> yeah it's been interesting it's been interesting as was this draft more this, yeah. this weird silly draft that I was sitting there watching for three to four hours waiting for the bulls to do something whether that was staying at pick number 38 or preferably maybe jumping back into the first round and surprising us all with the draft day move and getting back in that first round, doing something creative with it. That didn't necessarily happen. Obviously, they stayed at number 38 and made a, I will say they make a, made a decent and reasonable pick. Uh, that, that's my official stance on it. I, I feel like Ayo, Ayo rather, is going to be a decent and good player or at least has the, the ability to, to, to get to that point. I don't know if he's going to be that way from the get-go. I have some questions about him, I suppose, as a prospect. But I guess my issue was, I don't know, like Sharif Cooper for me should have probably been like a 15 to 25 type of pick and he was sitting right there for the Bulls. So was Jared Butler, to, to be fair as well. I would have been happy with either or. But they went with the local kid, the, the Illinois product. So it's I don't know how to feel about it because to me, like this was a decent pick, a good pick, a safe pick, let's say. You're taking a guy who... He's probably great at a lot of, at a lot of things. I don't know. I don't know if he's great at anything to be honest with you, but he's maybe good at a lot of things. Probably low ceiling. Probably going to be a, a low, a high floor player who will amount to being a good player, a good rotational player. But like, I guess it just comes down to draft philosophy. Uh, philosophy, and for me, I, I, you know, with the second round pick and with the, the caliber of players that were sort of hanging around and falling to the Bulls at number thirty eight, I would have, I would have liked them to swing on someone with high upside who has at least one bona fide elite skill. And to me, that's what Sharif Cooper had, and I guess that's why I was a little bit bummed out about it. But uh, at the same time, maybe I can talk myself into uh, into IU over time. But uh, I don't know. How did you feel about it? So, yeah, I mean, I, you barely or you more or less hit it uh, out of the park right there. Uh, by the way, apologies if I mumble uh, this time around. I had like three hours of sleep. So I, I'm yeah, a you, little you're bit a crazy tired. man. I mean, just tell the people in Europe, like, I think uh, the listeners need to appreciate what European basketball fans have to go through to follow <laughs> the NBA. So to so give some insight as to the, the crazy hours that you do. Yeah, well, so the draft started at 2 a.m., <laughs> and I got to bed at 7 a.m. Uh, and then I and then I said, "Hey, Mort, do you want a podcast at 12 p.m.?" So you've had what, like four or five hours sleep at most? Oh, not even that, not even that, because <laughs> it it is super hot over here, and as being Scandinavian, we're not used to the warm uh, weather whatsoever. So I had to like move my entire mattress into the living room where it's coldest. I had to run the AC, and and I like I I awoke every two hours because of it. So I've had 
roughly two to three hours tops. So I, I'm a mess. But but you you actually hit it uh, right on the right on the money with with the whole jack of all trades, master of none with IO because like there is a high floor because he doesn't have one particular weakness, so to say, but he is not someone who has one elite skill. For example, mm-hmm. Sharif Cooper might have been the best draft uh, passer in the entire draft, rather. And he's yeah. also a guy who could get to the free throw line at will, just really uh, drive the ball down the throat of uh, of defenses. And, and, and Io doesn't really project as being the same caliber of guy. Like, he doesn't have that one elite skill set, or in the case of Sharif, too. That said, Sharif isn't a shooter. He's also very small. There are significant question marks hovering around him in other areas, and I think the Bulls just wanted to play it safe. So they got a guy Mm -hmm. in who doesn't really have a weakness, but also doesn't have primary strengths. And like that's really the major thing for me is uh, if you're an NBA team, like I think it's fair that you want to go for the safe pick. I don't mind that at all. So I just wonder, like, what what were the Bulls thinking here? Do they do they want to play it safe? Do they want to say, you know what, let's find that playmaker that we need in the summer in free agency and let's just go for productivity in the second round? Or are they thinking that this guy might actually have hidden upside? I, I don't know, but I think that's where they are. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it, it is interesting. Like I said, I think I think it does just comes back down to, you know, draft philosophy and what you feel is the right move. And I don't know, like Ayu makes a lot of sense for a team that's maybe closer to con- to contending, let's say, where you can sort of just plug in, plug and play someone who can come in, you know, off the, off the deep off your bench. Probably maybe isn't getting a lot of minutes initially, but if you, for whatever reason, you get an injury to your rotation, you can put in this guy and he can sort of jump up from being the 11th or 12th guy up into your eight or nine man rotation and, and you can be confident in getting something out of him. That's, that to me, what kind of felt like where. I guess best fit someone or where I best fit, I guess let's, let's say that. So maybe a contender late in the first is where I thought he was going to go. Now, I think that the Bulls from a value standpoint got decent value for Io at, at number 38. But at the same time, like I mentioned, there was a couple of guys that I would have preferred to, to have, but yeah, it just, it just, it comes back to, to what you feel like you needed. And yeah, I'm confident that the Bulls got a, a player who can enter the rotation and do some good things, but right. I guess I just would have liked to have seen them swing on someone that probably has more bust potential, but I think has higher upside as well. So, and that's, that's kind of what we wanted with AK, isn't it? Like, isn't that the reason why we brought in Karna Shovers to, to do the opposite of Garpax? And I kind of feel like this move where you go for, uh, like a high motor player, a player with, you know, great character, not necessarily great skills, but, uh, you know, he's good across the board and, um, just, just feels like, you know, that, uh, you can be confident you're going to get a good, good, decent professional out of him. I, I guess like that is the prototypical, you know, guard packs pick, and we used to load that back in the day. I mean, <laughs> this is a the, the decent, safe pick was something that guard packs consistently did, and you know, to their credit, a lot of the times they drafted decent players in doing so by playing that conservative route. But and I, I kind of feel like well, that's what the Bulls have done here, rather than going all out and taking a swing on a player with higher upside. And that's kind of what I wanted Karnaschovas to do, to be the opposite to, to Garpax and, and making a trade like Vucevic was an, a move that was opposite to Garpax. But I felt like this draft pick here was kind of a Garpaxian type move, which is another reason why I was like, ah, yeah, whatever, I guess, was my ultimate <laughs> takeaway. So I'm only an R-ing. I'll get over it. But in the moment, I, I guess I was a little bit disappointed, but... 
yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it, to be honest with you. Well, I, I will say this. Last year was a high upside selection with Patrick Williams, and that came at a, at a crucially higher uh, selection as well. So I think mm-hmm. I, I think it's fair to bring that up and say, you know, Pat was what the second. Bring that up and say, you know, Pat was what the second young. Uh, he went through a rookie season where he showed a lot of of potential. I think that's fair to say as well. So yeah. like we should we should probably look at the totality of their draft record, like they wanted to go with high upside last year. Maybe they just determined that there wasn't that guy available in the second round. Maybe they just aren't fans of Cooper. We, we also have to appreciate that there are 30 NBA franchises and not everyone mm-hmm. is going to be aligned on how they gauge a guy. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so so maybe they just looked at Io and went, you know what? We we had Pat last year. We took a swing on him. That worked out. Maybe this year, because we're, we're trying to win, we need someone who we at least know have a certain baseline when he makes the floor. Uh, we want someone who can come out and produce to a certain extent, like maybe backing up sack, giving us a little bit of playmaking, a little bit of rebounding, a little bit of shooting, a little bit of driving, like just, just steady production. I, I, I think that is the way to win, uh, honestly, just knowing full well that, yeah, we got to do something to get more W's. And if I always that guy, you know, then it, it's difficult to argue against it. But but I also understand where you're coming from. I, I think it's it's pretty crucial that that uh, the Bulls fan base also feels that this is a new regime, that this is new leadership. And you know, drafting a, a Chicagoan is is definitely something that um, guard packs would have <laughs> have done. And and I, I understand <laughs> the skepticism around that. But I think we we owe it to AK and Mark Eversley to at least give him the benefit of the doubt. I understand the people are, are already like basically saying they're out on him and I'm not that far whatsoever. Um, I, I think this really comes down to gauging each draft class as its own individual entity. Um, and, and if I was the guy that they wanted this year, who they think can further that winning competitive uh, environment that they're trying to build, I, I have a hard time you know, arguing against it. Yeah, look, from a character standpoint and the, the the narrative around it, like the fact that he is a Chicago kid and he's staying in Chicago, like you can't be a human and not feel something when seeing that sort of stuff. Like I, I don't want them to play on that angle too much, to be to be fair, but at the same time, like it is a nice, cool story. And for him to be a Chicago kid growing up being a Bulls fan to then get drafted by the Bulls, like that is cool as shit. So in that sense... It is it is cool to see, I suppose, but I don't know. There was just little things, I guess, that kind of irritated me about it. Like there was a stat going around today where there was like, uh, I think like over the last twenty five years, there's only been like two players to average more than twenty points at eight assists in you know amongst freshmen in, in Division One, and uh, you know one player that did it was Trey Young, the other player that did it was Sharif Cooper, and I guess the the, the annoying part of not taking Cooper was kind of. Uh, amplified some that it was the Atlanta Hawks that took that that took Sharif like pick 48 or whatever it was and we just saw what the Hawks have done and the way they've accumulated talent and the, the fact that that talent sort of has bolstered them up to you know the Eastern Conference Finals that just gone past and the Bulls and the Hawks you know started their rebuild at the same time the Hawks got to the Eastern Conference Finals the Bulls didn't even make the play-in so it's just those little little snippets I suppose that I guess if you add them together and, you know, the, the cumulative nature of those things, that's where it kind kind of annoying. But like I said, I'll, I'll get over it. 
And I'm sure once he starts playing, we start seeing Ayo on the court. I think he can good a bit, uh, can be a good and valuable player. And to be fair, like he he does fit well. Theoretically, he fits nicely with Zach Levine. I don't know if Ayo is going to be a point guard in the NBA. He's, a, he's kind of a combo guard now. I mean, he's got good size, six five, six ten wingspan, two hundred pound type player. So he's got good size. You know, on defense, I'm confident that he can be a, a plus player. We'll see about on offense. I think he can be valuable in transition, but in the half court, can that shot sort of materialize and transfer? We'll, we'll see, but I don't know. I, I think he can be a good player. I think he will be a decent role player on this team, and there's a chance for him to be within the rotation going forward. But um, yeah, I guess I was just hoping for something a little bit more, and maybe that's on me. Maybe Maybe that's my fault. No, I mean, I get it. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes sense to go for high upside because the the positive side of the high upside is if, if it works out, you're getting someone who could have all-star potential. And you always want the glamour thing. That's why the draft is so intriguing, right? And that's why we can all get a little bit draft drunk once in a while. <laughs> like you're looking at these guys and you're going, wow, if, if, if everything like just happens in a certain order in a certain way for this particular prospect yet there's a high chance that he could become something way more than what he is like that's the entire allure so i i definitely get it i i i wonder this is there and and i'm I'm personally of the opinion that io is is like you said like a safe pick um who doesn't have a whole lot of upside but is there a chance that we could be wrong like, is there a chance that Io, because he is such a high, uh, high, high production player in virtually every single statistical category, that that we might be wrong? That he actually could end up replicating that at the NBA level. Uh, what what I'll say about him is I feel confident that he will max out whatever his potential is. Um, right. We can argue about what that potential is, but I, I think based on his work ethic, all the things I've read, all the things I've seen, and just the way he carries himself, the way he plays, I feel confident that whatever his potential is, whatever his upside is, he'll he'll reach that. Now, I'm questioning what that level is. That's where my mind is at. But I, I think it is I think it is fair to say that you know based on all the things that I've heard about him that. He will max out whatever he will be. He will, he, he works basically, he gets in there with studies, film, gets in the gym, does all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, maybe my issue is less about Io and, and more the fact that, you know, Sharif and, you know, Jared Butler sort of fell. Even, um, if I was kind of hopeful like the, that McBride was sort of last at 38 as well, but he, I think what he go 34, 36, something like that to the Knicks yeah. or something like that. Um, so I think it's more to do with those other players that were sliding that I was kind of hopeful that I was talking myself into it. And, you know, maybe if that doesn't happen and, and maybe some of these lesser players were, uh, who sort of vaulted up the draft board that we didn't necessarily to be, uh, picking or to be picked higher if that was sort of hanging around later on and it kind of was just, uh, you know, IO and a bunch of other guys, then maybe I'd be feeling a lot differently right now. So yeah, I think you make a fair point, but, um, yeah, we'll see how it all transpires. We'll see how it all, all, all plays out. He'll have an opportunity, I think, to be part of the rotation going forward. It's going to be interesting to see how the Bulls manage his contract, whether they, uh, you know, essentially with second round picks, you can, you can choose to sign him for like a, a two year deal. Uh, on a minimum type contract, right. that's generally the standard way teams go about it. But if you want to have bird rights with these players, if you want to effectively have the bird rights for more than two years, or you know ha- have the player for um, on those bird rights, you basically need to have them for three years and beyond. And for the balls to do that, they basically need to use cap space or an exception to to sign Aya to a bigger deal. Or in terms of 
years, let's say. So uh, how they manage that's going to be interesting, given that the Bulls kind of need as much money kept in cap space and exceptions as possible. So right. that's a little wait and see, I guess. That's the next interesting uh, tidbit there with uh, with IO. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, it, it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. Like I said, I'll, I'll probably uh, calm down once I start seeing him play. And look, <laughs> I guess the good news is, we will start seeing him play pretty soon with Summer League, you know, essentially a week and a bit away. So uh, we'll learn Very pretty true. quickly what this guy can and can't do on the court. We'll get to see him in a Bulls uniform pretty quickly. So uh, I guess that's the upside. We don't have to wait too long to see what he can produce. So um, that's right. the good thing. But uh, maybe we can pivot, pivot away from the Bulls because literally that was their only move. They only had the number 38 pick. They didn't have a first round pick that didn't do anything else. And uh, yeah, from, from that standpoint, maybe we can just you know, transition away from the Bulls draft and just talk about the draft more holistically because ultimately we're Bulls fans, but at the same time, we're NBA fans. We're all nerds for this shit. So uh, I, I just want to get your thoughts on the draft itself, who you thought uh, was the winner of the draft from a team point of view, who do you think was a loser, the, the draft more generally. Uh, interested to get your takeaways from the draft itself. Yeah, so I think the Rockets um, were, were, were major winners, which yeah. probably is a little bit frustrating to me because I'm not a big fan of uh, Tillman for Tita. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so, but but you know what? Rockets fans deserve to have nice things, I think. Um, and, and and they got Alperin Shungun, um, which I think is is such a great pickup for them. Of course, Jalen Green, but like that that's an obvious home run. But they, they yeah. got Shingun at at sixteen, who I consider to be the best offensive big in the entire draft. And then later I don't I don't have the picks right in front of me, but they also got Usman Garuba um yeah. later 23. on at 23, who I think yeah. is the best defensive big in the draft. Like, unfortunately, mm-hmm. that guy isn't the one insane player, but yeah. <laughs> so, so they split it into two. But, um, I, I absolutely love that pairing, of course, when you add it in with Jalen Green as well. I mean, though, those guys, clear, clear winners. That's a huge talent upgrade for them going into next season after the abysmal th- year that they just had. Um, so, so definitely big winners there. I also think Philly. Did a wonderful job in the margins. They usually do, but once again, yeah. Daryl Morey just keeps picking up uh, quality guys very late in the draft. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I definitely think that those two teams stand out. Um, I, I think Orlando as well, through yes. no uh, action of their own, by by having <laughs> yeah. Jalen Suggs fall to them at five. Like they come out as as gangbusters here. They finally have someone who can run that entire show. Um, like he's interchangeable with Markel Foles in in Cole Anthony. Like that's that's wonderful for them that they finally have someone who can be the face of the franchise moving forward. And in terms of look forward, and in terms of losers, they didn't really make a, 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 a much. But the Lakers trading for Russell Westbrook, I think, is really bad. All things considered. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I so I have them about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I have them on on my losing side. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that that trade, I mean, it happened before the uh, the draft, but uh, I have no idea what they're thinking with that trade. Maybe, maybe it works. Maybe maybe just the sheer will of Westbrook and LeBron and AD, like that's just too much power to overcome. But um, the spacing issues are going to just be tremendous, and I, and I hope it blows up. To be honest with you, I, I hope they sign Andre Drummond and go completely in on the worst spacing uh, yeah. team that we've ever seen in the, the modern shooting era. So that would be funny to see. But uh, yeah, I have no idea what they were doing there. But uh, 
yeah, screw the Lakers. Hopefully it blows up in their face. But I completely agree with the teams that you've noted. I guess the other the other team that I would note as well is maybe Charlotte. Like I kind of oh, yeah. like the way they leaned. They, I like the way they leaned in on just going for this fun factor. Like you obviously got Lamella. We all know what he did in his rookie season. But the fact yeah. that they've sort of, I don't know, like Book Knight fell to them at number eleven. Then they got they went and got uh, Kai Jones at nineteen via the Knicks. They they made the trade there. Like. They're two players who you could easily see see fitting right next to Lamelo, and that that just right. being they already were a league pass team, but they've sort of just added and amplified themselves as a, as a league pass team. So I thought they had a pretty good draft as well. But I completely agree with you on the Rockets. I think I thought they probably had the best draft, but uh, obviously as well the, the Pistons with Cade you can't you can't go past that one, an obvious one. But um, I kind of like Moses Moody as well to the Golden State at fourteen. I, I'm surprised that. Golden State made their picks. I was, I was just assuming that they would do the right thing and try to trade those picks, maybe trade Wiseman, trade Wiggins, and try to land a star to put next to Steph and Clay and Draymond and you know make one true last tilt of it. But obviously, they're not going that route. Maybe they try to do that during the season. But based on their selections that they did have, you know, Kaminga at seven, we'll see. Um, maybe that works out. Maybe that doesn't. But Moses Moody at Moody at fourteen, I think, yeah. is an absolute steal. So um, that that was a pretty good draft, I think, for the the Warriors as well. Like if we just ignore the fact that maybe they should have traded those picks, I think just based on the selections that they did have at those slots, I think they had a pretty good draft as well. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And you know, they can always make a move. Uh, we're also expecting the Philadelphia 76ers to move Ben Simmons later this mm-hmm. summer. So mm-hmm. I, I think there's ample time to get stuff done if you want to. We're also hearing that Pascal Siakam is very much available. So I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever that things get absolutely nuts when we get into August. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and what about losers in this draft? Do, do you have any? I know you mentioned the Lakers before, before the draft and the, and the Westbrook trade itself. But uh, right. based on the selections in the draft, is there any obvious losers to you? So I, I always find it difficult to point to certain teams and say that they're losers based on guys who've never touched uh, the floor, <laughs> right? I, because it, it it can just so easily blow up in your face. Um, True, I, 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 but, but, but yeah, no. But I, I think, I think I'm skeptical of the Spurs. Um, yeah, that's, that's that where way. I was leading, leading yeah. you into. I was hoping you were to say that. Like, what, what? Where did this guy come from? Yeah, I, I was definitely skeptical about the Spurs. I think getting Primo at twelve. I mean, I, I have to assume that there were competition for him because I don't understand, you know, that uh, him getting selected that high, I think maybe his draft stock has increased without us really knowing a whole lot about it. Um, I personally would have taken Shingun at that point in time. I, I think he fits the, um, the Spurs mentality. I think they also needed a big man who could produce and score and rebound. So I'm, I'm pretty surprised they didn't go that route. And I just wonder overall um, what their line of thinking was and what they're looking for. And then they went with Joe Weisskamp uh, in the second round where you still had someone like Greg Brown available, David Johnson, Sharif Cooper for crying out loud, um, Philip Petrusev as well. I, so, I, yeah, I'm I'm curious as to what their logic was, the, the Spurs. But again, it's the draft. Who knows? They might just have drafted two very, very uh, high-ceiling guys and we may look back at it and go, oh, they did all right, uh, but but as of right now, I'm I'm skeptical. Yeah, for sure, I completely agree. I thought the Clippers did a couple of nice things as well on, on the margins there, but this one might be controversial based on 
you know, the fact that I am Australian based on my accent, people listening, but I actually kind of thought Josh Giddy at number six was a bit of a reach, to be honest mm. with you. Like, I'm obviously wow, very traitor, huh? Yeah, I feel, I do feel like a traitor saying that. Like, I obviously want Giddy to be awesome. I'm hopeful that he is. And, uh, you know, I hope he, uh, you know, completely justifies his selection at number six. And I don't know. I guess if I was an OKC fan, like, we'd be tanking all season trying to lead, uh, land Cade and, you don't land Cade and maybe you start thinking, all right, can we trade up into the draft or trade up into the top three rather? Can we trade up and get Cade if we can't get Cade? Can we get Mobley or Jalen Suggs? But that doesn't happen. So you've been engineering your own mind to think that way for a, for an entire year and then to come away with it with Josh Giddy. Like, I think Giddy will be good. I think he'll be like a low-end starter, high-end role player type. But I don't know, man. At number six, I thought that was a bit of a reach. Yeah, I mean they they're going for upside. I mean they we we saw the rumors before the draft started that that Shea Gilgis Alexander is available um, for the right price, of course. And we saw the reasoning being that he wasn't on the same timeline as the incoming draft picks, which is insane to me. And I don't know how much I buy yeah, into that argument crazy. because yeah. he literally just turned twenty three years old this month. Yeah. This yeah. this month, like he's he he's not even an old twenty three. He is a newly broken in twenty three. Yeah. Um. So so I I have a difficult time like gauging that. But if if there's any truth uh, to to that rumor flying around, then I kind of see why they go ultra young, swing at at someone with high upside who is likely a few years away from being really good. And I actually have a lot of faith in, in Josh Giddy. I think he'll be a very good NBA player when everything is said and done. But yeah, it, it's it's going to take some time. So it was certainly a, an upside selection here. But there's also, and I hate to say this because you're Australian and I feel bad, like there's also a, a, a bust uh, factor or bust risk hovering over Giddy a little bit. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, I I get where you're coming from. I I probably wouldn't have taken him at this, at that slot as well. But if he yeah. does maximize his his upside, then it's worth everything. Yeah, look, I'm hopeful. I I, I just don't believe in the shot just yet. But maybe maybe he proves me wrong. It's the shot and the athleticism, I suppose, that that are concerns for me. Everything else, like yeah, he'll be good at. Like I I have no issues with everything else of the aspect of the game, but. Those are two big important pieces, particularly when you're taking at number six versus, you know, someone taking him at 14 or something like that. When, when I, where I thought he was initially going to go in that range, maybe 10 to 14, but as, as this sort of, well, as the draft sort of came around, the combine sort of came around, all this, all these sorts of, um, the testing, the, uh, all the videos that these guys were sort of consuming and the fact that they got to see him in person with the Australian team. He was obviously a draft board riser and, I'm hoping he's able to feel, fulfill that, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, he doesn't have Dante Exum shot. Oh, I'll just say that. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I guess the, the last thing I wanted to note on the draft was, I don't know if there's a better fit between player and team than Bones Highland and Denver. Like That just seems absolutely right. perfect at number 26, him playing off Jokic, play, you know, using his uh, absolute insane uh, range, his, his ability to sort of create off the bounce, uh, you know, create jump shots off the bounce as well from the three-point range, whether that's on ball or off ball, and playing off Jokic and having a player like that and he may be coming in and being somewhat of a, fa- of a facsimile for Jamal Murray, not to obviously peak Jamal Murray, but like being able to give them some sort of scoring and shooting punch in the backcourt, which they solely needed when, you know, we saw them in the uh, the playoffs where they were sort of running out their, their reserve guard units against these these playoff teams. The Nuggets needed some scoring in the backcourt, and I don't know if there is a better fit in this draft 
well, I mean, you could argue Cade Cunningham and Detroit, I suppose, but on the lower end side of things, uh, Bones Highland and Denver is, uh, just makes complete sense. Yeah. yeah. No, for sure. Um, Highland is one of those guys who can just put up a lot of points. He can really stretch the court. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, obviously over the telecast, you know, it was presented a, a very horrific background story mm-hmm. for him. And I, I always believe in guys, uh, guys, like that's that's such a tough term, people, overall people. Yeah. I always believe in people who've gone through, you know, such a challenging personal uh, things that they, when they came out, come out on the other side, they have a different mentality going to something uh, you know, as being professional athletes, because the sport, while serious, you know, they're not going to look at it and going, "Oh, this is this is life and death." The basketball, whether I make this shot or miss that shot, like no, that's that's not how they look at things. It, it, they have a different perspective, and sometimes that helps with nerves. Sometimes that helps coming in and just putting things into perspective. It helps with maturity. It helps with just being a standout human being and Highland from everything I've, I've read about him and heard about him. He's just a class act every way through. And I think that matters, especially for the nuggets. I mean, they like character guys as well. They want to have guys who can mesh really well with Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, both in terms of skill set but also personality. And he just fits that bill. I, I, I totally agree with you. He's, he's a very, very solid pick for, for Denver. The fit makes sense. Um, and, and with Jamal Murray still out uh, rehabbing the ACL, I have to assume that Highland is also going to get minutes right off the bat. Yeah, for sure. And look, we won't get into it here, but I, I implore people to go and read about Bones Highland and yes. his backstory. And I mean, everyone should love him anyway. With like, Bones is the coolest name ever. So right. that's one reason. But after you read his backstory, understand sort understand where he's sort of come from the the trials and tribulations that he sort of had to go through. That I, I, I can't imagine anyone disliking this guy. So, uh, right. yeah, uh, I, I just wanted to shout that out because he, he was kind of a guy that I was hoping the Bulls could maybe go up and trade for. But, um, yeah, it didn't work out. The Nuggets got him, which is uh, maybe some twisted irony there with AK's old team. But, uh, like I said, I think he's a perfect fit in Denver. And, um, yeah, I'm hoping for, I'm hoping for the best for him because, yeah, good people, like you said, more, uh, they deserve good things. But, uh, look, that's all I had on the draft. I want to p- pivot away from the draft and talk about free agency because this is the crazy part more. Like, we right. just got done free agency. We talked about the fact that uh, Summer League is not that far around. But even before Summer League rolls around, NBA free agency is here. It's a couple of days away. I want to preview that. I want to talk about that. But before we do, I want to tell the listeners about this week's sponsor. If you love listening to us here on Bulls HQ, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to start a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks and on top of that we'll help you get your show pushed out to apple spotify google stitcher and all other listening platforms and the best part is you can get all of this for only 15 dollars a month 
the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to us talk about your favorite team, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your applications in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com forward slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. All right, back to Bulls HQ, talking about free agency now. Mort, what the hell are the Bulls doing in free agency? I've been waiting for this time for a while. We've been talking about the same things here on Bulls HQ. Not, well, not, not even just on Bulls HQ, on, on all, every other single Bulls podcast, every person on Bulls Twitter, whatever it might be, like Bulls forums even, like we've all been talking about free agency for months now, like every, just months and months and months. It's finally here. I'm assuming we know or think what's going to happen or at least hope is going to happen. But, uh, based on your opinion, let's say, how are you feeling the Bulls are going to approach this? Are, gonna, are they going to be an under the cap team, over the cap team? What are they doing with Lowry? What are they doing with Lonzo? All those sorts of things. Just give us your right. high level thoughts about what this Bulls, what this free agency period means for the Bulls and what you're expecting. I, I fully expect them to operate under the cap if Zach Levine and his agent uh, gives them any hint as to whether or not he would a- accept a renegotiated extend. Um, I think that's that's Alpha Omega coming into this offseason. I know the Bulls fans are looking at making external upgrades. I completely get that. Um, I, I, they need a point guard desperately. But I think that the main priority has to be the long-term uh, ideology of Zach Levine, like you're keeping him in house. So if he comes in and says, you know what, I, I want to renegotiate and extend right off the bat, go ahead, like figure that out, make sure you lock him up long term. That gives you more running time to also find other people, especially in 2023. Um, but you could also make different moves, right? I mean, it, like Zach more or less signed off on like if the Bulls wanted to pivot away from Thad Young that they could do so, which I think is huge. That opens so many doors for trades and, and free agency and getting guys off the cap sheet. You know, Sato with his $10 million, uh, all of which $5 million is guaranteed. I would, if I'm the Bulls, I would prefer to move him entirely and not just only guarantee $5 million because then you would still have $5 million on the cap. I, I would just kind of clear guys out that I don't, you'll look at as being complete mainstains for the long haul. So I I would open things up. I would try to go under the cabin work in that regard so I can keep Sack around. Maybe I can even squeeze out enough money for a point guard if that's Lonzo cool, but I don't know how much you know stock we should put into that right now because he is going to earn approximately 20 22 million a year that's a lot of money for Lonzo whereas what if you what do you do if someone like Devonte Graham is available for like i don't know 15 million is is that a better scenario right there is that something that would that would work out um so there are a lot of these moving components i mean obviously Kyle Lowry seems to be Sixers bound in some capacity, at least that's the rumor from last night. Mike Conley, I don't think, is going to sign with the Bulls. I think he's perfectly satisfied in Utah. So they need to figure something out. And it, but, but I would just put it into priorities, tiers, and my number one priority is, is retaining SAC for the long haul, having that whole free agency 
element hovering over him for the entirety of next season, I don't think is healthy for anyone. I think you want to get that done and then you can sort of pick up the threats from there. See, I, I kind of feel differently. I, I kind of hope that they don't go down the road with Zach. And and the reason why I say that is like, if they do do that with Zach, like the Bulls can't engineer a lot of cap space in the off season. I think, you know, realistically, the most they can really create is like 35, 39 million, something like that. But in doing so, they would basically have to just absolutely gut the roster and, you know, and get it to a point where there's literally not a lot of players left. And, you know, you would need at least 14 million bucks to, to, to sign Zach. And if you, if you take that 14 million, you sign Zach and you use the rest or maybe not all of it, but a good chunk of the rest to, to sign Lonzo, like, that's literally your off season. So I'm kind of hopeful that they don't sign Zach this summer and, you know, uh, try to, to pr- prove and show Zach that they can go out and, and assemble a decent team around him by bringing right. in free agents this off season and using this platform, this off season as a platform to put good pieces around him to convince him to come back thereafter and, and give him the full five year max at that point. Like I, I'm kind of hopeful that they do that. It, it is more risky for both player and team. But um, I guess this is a good opportunity to add players as quick as possible to boost this team. And I think that's kind of what they have to do, particularly after training for Vucevic, where the dude's going to be 31. He's got one more year beyond next season. So two years left on his deal. But how many more good years does Vucevic have? Maybe two or three years, let's say. So I, I kind of feel like now is the time to go. And I, I just don't want to be wasting any years where we're bringing back basically the same team or it wouldn't be the same team but you wouldn't have as much flexibility i suppose if you're committing 14 million dollars of your space to zach so i i i kind of disagree there but i guess what i would say is i'm not completely opposed to it either but we are going to get a bit of an insight as to what the bulls will do before free agency opens because they've got to make some decisions on guys like thad young and sato as to whether they want to guarantee their deals they've got to make a decision with larry as in uh, as it relates to his uh, quali- uh, qualifying offer, I'm assuming they'll offer that to him. Maybe they'll decline it after free agency. Maybe they'll just let him walk when someone offers him a restricted free agent uh, offer sheet. But I-, I think they will do that initially. But again, maybe they don't. Who knows? Uh, so I think we're going to get a bit of a hint as to what they're going to be doing based on co- some of these decisions that they have to make beforehand. Uh, add Ryan Archer Diaco to the list as well. They, they've got a team option on him and then they've got options on a bunch of other guys as well. So I think we're going to learn before free agency as to where this may be headed and that'll give us a bit of an indication as to what they do. But um, yeah, look, I'm hopeful that they do create as much space as possible. And I'm hopeful that they're able to trade someone like Sadoransky into a team's cap space or maybe create a trade player exception and get off that $5 million that they're having with Sato in terms of his partial guarantee. Like, irrespective of what they do Sato with Sato, if they just waive him, for example, or don't you know, uh, bring up his team option, they just let him go. $5 million of his $10 million will be on the book. So I'm, I'm kind of hopeful mm. they can find a trade partner for Sato. I assumed or was hopeful they would do that tonight in the draft. Obviously, that hasn't happened. Whether they do that with Thad Young or not, like that, I guess I could be talked into it, but that I think is kind of important, particularly if they lose marketing and Daniel Tice. Like they won't have a lot of players up front. So I'm kind of leaning towards keeping Thad, but they could realistically create, you know, anywhere between twenty five to, to twenty eight million dollars by getting rid of Sato, trading him in trading him and his uh guaranteed money away and maybe 
uh, ideally trading Aminu, but uh, you know, if you can't trade Aminu, then maybe you stretch and wave uh, his, the remaining uh, $10 million of his deal. You just take that hit on the books this year and open up, you know, six to $7 million more in space. And right. then you've got like sort of $25, $28 million to do some stuff. And maybe you can sign Lonzo for 22, get in another player for five, six, seven million or something like that. And then just use some exceptions and vet bins to sign the, or to, to fill out the rest of the roster. That's, that's kind of what I'm hopeful that they will do. But, you know, that plan is heavily dependent on what the, 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 uh, the Pelicans will do with Lonzo. And I guess what they want to do with Lonzo is heavily dependent on their ability to sort of sign Kyle Lowry. It kind of feels like they're, going in that direction or trying right. to sway him that way. I don't think that will happen. But, you know, if for whatever reason he doesn't go to the Pelicans, then are they more inclined to, to keep Lonzo? And at that point, like, then what is the follow-up move? Like, is, is it Dennis Schroeder? And like you mentioned before, the the fact that the Lakers traded for Russell Westbrook, I'm assuming after trading for Westbrook that they have no intention of re-signing uh, Dennis Schroeder. So, like, does that now make Schroeder a more likely option for the bulls and if so that will make me throw up but at the same time like that has to be we have to consider that a real possibility now yeah i absolutely i i would not want dennis schroeder around this team um this is the the typical euro thing but obviously i have sources over here as well and and just the word on schroeder internationally is not great um for yeah. a variety of reasons. Also, when you dig into his numbers, and I and I wrote about him over at Forbes earlier this month, like he's just exceedingly average. Like he's just there, there isn't that elite skill set. There isn't anything that would ever justify paying him in the area of twenty plus million dollars, which mm-hmm. is what he's looking for. Otherwise, he wouldn't have turned down twenty one million a year. Yeah. Um, but but just to go back to to like the entire setup of the summer. I'm <clears throat> I'm very risk averse when it comes to sack, I think, and that is why I would, if he were to go elsewhere next summer, I mean the Bulls would have to start over. And they would have to start over by you know not having a pick this year in the first round and, and not having a pick either in twenty twenty three or twenty twenty four or whatever happens in that regard. It's it's not optimal an optimal situation to rebuild in. Because you can't suddenly pivot and build around Vucevic. I mean, you, yeah. the Magic tried that. That won't work. So I think that's where I'm a little bit more uh, intense about, oh, let's let's get these things locked. Let's get the most important player on the team locked up. And if that costs <laughs> yeah. you $14 million this year, so be it. But I also under, fully understand where you're coming from. Now, this, is, this is a great opportunity to get talent in. And if Sack and his team go... Yeah, you know what? We're open for it. Like we we'll resign next year if you just show us that you're serious and and you just get guys in this summer. Okay, I'll take it as a vote of confidence in me. I'll take it as a vote of confidence for the future, and and then we'll get everything done next year. Okay, cool. That I'm all in if he's open for that. I'm just saying if he like isn't really sure and if he wants his money right now. I'm going that route, but I again, I completely hear you. What I wonder is, is there a free agent out there that would, like a reasonable and realistic target that would really, you know, take the Bulls from where they are right now and catapult them into like the second round or, or the conference finals even? I don't think so. Like it has to be these incremental improvements still. Like even if you get Lonzo, what is the... 
what is the realistic expectation after him coming in? Um, so I think that is also something the Bulls would need to ask themselves before pulling the trigger on anything. That is, what is our new ceiling going to be with player X? Um, because right now the league is getting better. The league is getting um, way more competitive all around. Teams are looking at the Warriors um, and going, you know what, they're they're not where they used to be. Like that dynasty is more or less over. So we're going to be attacking this now. We're waiting. We're in a holding pattern for so many years. Now we're not. Now we can actually go for it. Now we can try to be competitive. We can do everything in our power to dictate our own outcome. And more and more teams are doing that right now. So I, with the Bulls, I just wonder what are their realistic expectations for next year, regardless of what they do here this summer. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. I, look. They're not going to solve all their problems in free agency. They don't have enough space to do so. And even if they had plenty of space, like the Knicks, for example, the Knicks have $50 million in cap space, but this isn't a good free agency class. So you're 100% right. Like no matter what they do, they will, they can't solve all their problems in free agency. One, because they don't have a ton of money, but two, those players just don't necessarily exist. And, you know, the, the good players that are, are, are out there, like Chris Paul, for example, or Kyle Lowry and, you know, uh, Kawhi Lennon, but before he like tore his ACL, like they were never coming to Chicago anyway. So, yeah, I take your point there, and I guess maybe if things break right, depending on matchups, if you get in, you get in Lonzo, you, you fill out your bench, and you have a decent nine man rotation, and you can right. stay relatively healthy. Like maybe that team can get into the second round, and maybe they could pull off a, a, a an Atlanta Hawks type thing and get to an Eastern Conference Finals if, again, a team like the, the Nets sort of have injury issues or something goes wrong and you sort of take advantage to, take advantage of that to your point. Like the league is kind of wide open. Like we just literally saw that in the finals. Like the Bucks won the, won the title. Like fair enough, they've got to play like Giannis, but like the Suns were there. The, the Suns are the test case for that. Like they – they are they are what's the name they they run into a finals run there because things just they broke right for them and they had enough talent to sort of make that break right there for them and I don't know if that's something the Bulls could replicate it that they can't get someone in like Chris Paul but the East is weaker so maybe mm-hmm. if like the Nets again suffer an in, an injury the the Nets are, sorry the Bucks are on the opposite opposite side of the bracket and you're running up against teams like Boston and Miami and Atlanta or whatever it might be. And, you take out these guys in a couple of rounds, and then maybe the the top end cases at Eastern Conference Finals, depending on matchups. But I think realistically, like it's first round or second round. I think that is the most likely right. outcome, and I kind of feel like that's probably the, the 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 top end right now. And then maybe without that, maybe it's like getting into the play in and getting into the, from the play into the in, into the playoffs and being a first round out team. So I, I guess that's kind of the the bandwidth on this thing, like. There's not a, a lot of scope to it. Maybe we're talking about the differences between being a 42-win team and a, and a 47-win team, something like that. But um, I don't know. Like I, I'm just, I just want to see good basketball. I guess I, yeah. I don't want to see another bad ball season. So I'm kind of hopeful that they do bring in Lonzo, and and maybe you can fill out the bench with a couple other little bits and pieces here and there, and at least put together a decent team that we can all enjoy and root for. And maybe if things break right for them, like it did the Hawks or like it did the Suns, then maybe they could surprise us and put together a decent season similarly to like the Knicks did. Like obviously the Knicks went out in the first round, but like they had a really good season. So I'm just yearning for a decent season at this point. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. I mean, that is, that is definitely what the Bulls should be looking for. I think Bulls fans as well are open to, 
you know, a first round exit in that way, like as long as you're competitive and if you make the playoffs, that's fantastic. Even if you get bounced in the first round, like that's at least better than staying this eternal rebuild that they've been in for a a long time. So I I hear you on that. And I just wonder, like, who is that guy out there? Who, Who can you identify as being the guy that takes you from where they are now to where they'll be next year? I mean, the the... Central Division also just got significantly better. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's fair mm-hmm. to say, like Kate Cunningham yeah. and Evan Overly, uh just yeah. arrived. So if you do make a splash in free agency, you'll need to make a big one. Like you will need to do something dramatic to really get over that hump. I, I have trust in Levine and Vooch just appearing. I also think a lot of the future hinges on the development of Pat Williams. Oh, but sure. You, you need something else. You need, a, you need a floor leader. You need someone who can come in and and run the offense. And, and it, right now, they don't have that. Like, Lonzo's going to cost an arm and a leg. Devontae Graham, okay, sure. But, like, he's also got flaws. Uh, Mike Conley's not realistic. Kyle Lowry is not realistic. Like, it, it, it really boils down to finding that middle ground and finding, like, that right option. And I just don't know if that right option is out there. And if you go into the trade game, that's also difficult because then you're giving up assets and you won't really get a whole bunch, a whole lot better immediately because you're relinquishing other assets that you could use on the floor. I mean, free agency is the way you really improve, right? Because you add people in without relinquishing anyone else. And and I just wonder if that player is out there. But I guess we'll have to see. I mean, free agency is only a couple of days away. But yeah, I I really have no clue as to what the Bulls are planning. We, I mean, I said that I wanted them to operate under the cap. I have no idea if that's what they are thinking. Maybe they're going, no, 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 we should operate over the cap. We have something lined up. Maybe this is all you know, uh, me being a little bit fearful of them not doing anything. And then in a week's time, maybe they've changed up the entire roster. We have no idea because that that front office does not talk, which I actually appreciate on some level. Yeah, look, I think you touched on a good point there in terms of the fact that you know free agency may not bring what we hope, and they may have to lean on the trade game more so. And you know, we're talking about free agency, and obviously trades will happen through free agency. But I, I just kind of wonder as well, like how much does this draft that we just sort of watch now, how much of that impacts? you know, free agency and who's available via trade. Like I'm I'm shocked that Bradley Bill wants to remain in Washington. That 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 is the word going around. But like I'm i st- I'm still right. shocked by that. What what is this guy thinking? I mean, get out of there, Bradley Bill, you idiot. Like what what are you doing? But <laughs> nonetheless, like I would have thought that would have pushed him towards a trade. Obviously Ben Simmons, they want to trade him. Portland need to do something based on Damian Lillard's umming and ahhing about what his future is. Like I kinda of wish Lillard would just come out and be more uh, definitive, but he isn't. But you know, Portland have to do something. But like even someone like I'm thinking about like the Raptors for an example. Like they took Scotty Barnes at number four. That's that's Siakam there. You've got you've got Siakam, you've got OG Ananobi Ananobi rather, and now you've got Scotty Barnes. Like does them take Scott does them selecting Scotty Barnes like make them more open to trading Pascal? And if that's the case, should the Bulls rather than making a free agency play, should right. they play the trade game and maybe trade for someone like Pascal, and I know a lot of Bulls fans don't want to hear it, but I think Patrick Williams needs to be on the trading block. And that, that isn't to say you tr- just trade him for anything. And maybe you shouldn't trade him for Pascal Siakam. Maybe you shouldn't trade him for Ben Simmons or whoever, insert the name of whatever right. player it may be. But like, I think for this team to sort of get past that level that we, we sort of just spoke before, or at least give them more of a chance to get past that level, 
maybe the trade game is where it makes more sense. So like maybe they have to go after someone like Siakam. Maybe maybe it makes more sense to you know uh, target someone like Dejounte Murray from the Spurs as an option at point guard rather than going and signing a Dennis Schroeder for $20 million right. or whatever it might be. Or, but uh, what's the price though? Like, let's take Murray because he's the, he's a guy I would really want on this team. He's fantastic. Sure. Yes. What would that take? Because if that takes Patrick Williams. No, I'm, you don't, you don't, you don't trade Patrick for him, but I don't right. know. Can you engineer something where you're sending out salary and maybe he's doing some pick swaps and I don't know, maybe you're sending them Kobe White as well. I, I don't know what the situation is. If that deal like. was there, I would I would take it in a heartbeat. I am way more open to trading Kobe than I am Pat. But you're right. Like you hit you you actually raise a very interesting issue here. And I actually wrote about that at, at Forbes recently as well, which is the Bulls are in a conundrum. Like they want to be win now, otherwise they wouldn't have traded for Vuj. Vuj is, yeah. is going to be 31. And they still have this very young core. It's not just Pat, it's not just Kobe. They also have Mirko Mirko sorry, Marko Zeminovic coming in. They also have uh Troy Brown Jr. who 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 got traded there at the trade deadline. Uh like they they have they also have a bunch of young guys. That doesn't really jive with the ideology of you know, trading for someone like Vooch. So maybe this is the Bulls building up an asset trove that they could you know, move for someone else, be that Pascal, Deontay Murray, whatever. whatever. So that's, you're right. This is very interesting. Like trying to figure out, do they have to pick a direction or are they trying to Boston it by having a foot in each camp and hoping to just kind of stay competitive until 2023? Yeah, and and that's the thing. Like to me, like you've already sort of cashed part of your chips in. Like you've gone and got Vucevic. Maybe I'd feel differently if Vucevic was twenty seven rather than thirty one. But the dude is thirty one. You, you know, ultimately, you, you need to play this thing out to twenty twenty three when he is a, a free agent. At that point, you can do whatever you want. Zach, at that point, would be like twenty eight, twenty nine. But uh, to your point, like Patrick Williams will be twenty years old. Vucevic is thirty one. You one years of age. But even like Patrick and, and Zach Levine, like, are they even on the same timeline? I, I don't know. But like, these are the things that I'm thinking about. Like, you've already gone sort of halfway into committing to a, a win now move. And that isn't, that's exactly what trading for Vucevic was. So I think they're just going to continue doing that. Now, if they can't sort of bring in those win now players via free agency, m- maybe they can with Lonzo and a couple other pieces. But if they can't, then you really have to explore the trade market because. I don't think you can afford to waste another year, particularly if you don't re-sign Zach Levine in the offseason. I, I don't think you can sort of just add bits and pieces here as, as stopgap solutions. Like, yeah, maybe it makes sense to just bring in guys for like a one-year type deal and keep your space open for 2022. And I don't know, maybe you bring in Inish Smith or a TJ McConnell or something like that for one year to run point um, and just be a stopgap solution or whatever it might be. But like... I don't know if that makes sense either. So, like, I just want to see them continue going down the path of cashing in their chips, whether that's Patrick Williams, whether that's Kobe White, whether that's future draft picks, and and just and just try to max out this core of, of Vucevic and Levine. Like, that is your two best players. Your your aim now should be trying to build out the best team around those two guys. And if that means that you have to sacrifice like Patrick Williams to get in a good player around those two guys, a, a notable guy who's quality of quality right now and will be of quality for the next sort of three or four years when you're sort of hoping Patrick will get that to that point I don't know I think they should have everything on the table it's 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 kind of a make or break off season to a degree not in the sense that it's gonna like 
pole vault this team into contention or anything like that. But it, it could define how the next five years of Chicago Bulls basketball goes, which is uh, what makes this free agency period uh, very interesting for the Bulls, even if you know there isn't a lot of talent out there within free agency. Uh, but uh, I, I think I am of the mind that they need to play the trade game. They need to be very serious about it. And ideally, you would trade someone like DeJounte for Larry, and maybe you can package up Larry and Kobe for DeJounte or something like that. And, and, That'd and be maybe good. Look, I would, I would, I would like to do that. And rather than just losing Larry for not for nothing, you can engineer it and get a player of need in that way. And maybe you can use the rest of your cap space to go after a couple other pieces, little bits and pieces here and there. But I don't know. I think trading is the best av- avenue for the Bulls. But obviously, to your point, like that's contingent about on, on other teams. Whereas free agency, like that's something you can control by yourself. But um, unfortunately, right. there's just not a, not a lot of great names in free agency. Let me ask you this. In just in terms of Patrick Williams, what if mm-hmm. you stick with him now? You don't play the trade game now, yeah. and he kind of comes into his own next season. Like, let's say he mm-hmm. takes a second-year leap. He becomes, you know, a 17-7 player or something along those lines at age 20, and, and you can just see the tra- trajectory going up and up and up. Do you cash in on that, or does he just sort of become a little bit untradeable at that point? Well, look, I mean, if he becomes 17 and 7 guy in year two, then I probably am not trading him, to be honest right. with you, unless I'm getting something legit back. But like, I don't know. I was kind of disappointed with the second half year or the second half of the season from Patrick. I was expecting him to add a couple bits and pieces to to his game and he, he had opportunities to do so, but he didn't really necessarily take them. I, I, I just, I still question his mindset as to how much he wants to be a lead guy, let's say. And, and maybe that's, you know, rudimentary hot take thinking but that's just the thought i have like does he want to be a 17 and 7 type guy or is he content with just sort of floating around and doing bits and pieces here and there and maybe until he's pushed into being a lead guy like he won't be until he is so i I don't know like if he could if he could sort of show signs of being a more on-ball player and a more of an isolation scorer to the point where you sort of suggested they sort of works himself up to being a 17 and 7 player like yeah, I mean, that that would change the entire trajectory of this Bulls team and it would do so quickly. But instead of being that and he's just like a, a 12 and 5 guy, let's say, then I don't know. That, again, that, that, that changes the timeline as well. So it, 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 it kind of all does hinge on Patrick Williams because he is their last real cash cow. When you think about the Bulls, they don't, they don't really have a lot of assets on this team right now. I mean, they've... they've they lost pick eight in this draft, which you know we'll see what uh, you know Franz Wagner turns into. Not to, not to, not to say the Bulls necessarily would have had to have taken him, but that's one asset out the door. Obviously, Wendell Carter's gone. Larry Mark is going to be gone soon. They're losing the twenty twenty three pick or potentially the twenty four pick. We'll see how that plays out. But they don't have a lot of assets on the roster right now as well. Like Levine's an asset, Vucevic is an asset, Patrick Williams is, Kobe White is probably one as well, but. Beyond that, there's there's not a lot there. So like Patrick Williams kind of is the last Bulls decent and real good asset. So I guess that's why I'm just cognizant of the fact that I know the fan base is very attached to to Patrick Williams and don't want to see him go. But I, I think we have to, if we're being objective about it, and if they can't meet reach their objectives via free agency, then they have to think about trading. And if you want to trade and bring in players like. Ben Simmons or Pascal Siakam or Bradley Beal or whoever the name might be, be then you, you've got to you've got to you've got to trade. Um, what's the name? You've got to trade Patrick Williams in that instance. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting one. Was that the Australian hiccup by mentioning Ben Simmons? 
I won't go on that rant again because I've I've raised it a couple of times and people uh people don't like the the idea. And I've had enough people yelling at me today about the whole IO situation. So uh, <laughs> uh, fair I'm enough. Bit, but uh, I, I'll just I'll just wrap up by saying this, just in terms of Pat. I yeah. think I think the discourse uh, has been unfair to to Patrick Williams. I I think the expectations to him have yeah, been unfair sure. because look, sure. first and foremost, he was the youngest American player in the draft last year. He didn't have a summer league. He the the, the training camp was rushed. Like he was uh, he was brought in as a starter on day one after have not having not started a single game in college. And you know, to be fair, you know that that team had a lot of loose components to it. Like you didn't know coming into the year that Sack was going to take the leap that he did, which also meant that he he kind of took on a, a different role. Like he was getting the ball to a, a, a bigger extent. And then suddenly the team got flipped around at the trade deadline. I I just think it's I think it's it's unfair to point the finger at Pat and going I expected more from someone at the I understand where you're coming from, but I think it's unfair to to be honest with you. I think it's he's so young, he's so talented, obviously, and everything we hear, everything we hear from opposing coaches, from opposing star players, is that he's got it. That he's got just this tremendous amount of potential. And we have Thad and, and Levine both are basically going to to bat for him, uh, who who really I, I taking him under their wing or trusting him are are constantly talking about his potential. I think we need to be fair with this young man. And that is that he's got uh, this year, this summer, to really improve, to play some summer league, to get a, a fully fledged training camp, to understand like coming into to his second year of being a professional, I I would just really hate it to see the Bulls move him now because I think he's there's a question a question mark hovering over him. Uh, I don't think we are anywhere near close to understanding what type of player he is. Uh, I think we literally have not even scratched the surface. So if he completely booms as someone who becomes, you know, a top tier two way guy and the Bulls trade him for what Pascal Siakam, who who is, is tremendous, don't get me wrong. But let's say that he becomes significantly better than Pascal and you traded him just because you didn't have a whole lot of patience. Then what? Like that that would be a really rough sell. I think there's I think there's so many reasons not to trade Pat, and I think there are more reasons not to trade him than there is trading him at this point. Uh I understand that his synergy numbers are <laughs> very average. I get that. But again, nineteen, man. Nineteen. I Yeah, look, I, I yeah. get that and I, I take everything you you've said to heart and, and, and makes complete sense. But at the same time, like it's not me rushing the timeline. It's the Bulls. Like, right. they're the ones that have put all this pressure on Pat, to, to, to be fair. Like, yeah, I mean, right. the, the fan base has put pressure on Pat with all these Kawhi comparisons. Stacey King has put pressure on on, uh, on Pat with this the poor nickname and all this nonsense. Like, right. there's external pressure from there, but there's external pressure as well, or internal pressure, rather, because like we just spoke about, like, Pat is probably the, the key to really changing the trajectory of this Bulls team. Like, are they going to be a first or second round out team? Or if this dude can make a leap, maybe not next season, but maybe the season thereafter, then maybe that just changes the, the, the dynamic completely. So, you know, whilst we fans can have high expectations and hopeful of this guy is, you know, awesome as soon as possible, like the Bulls have kind of put themselves in that position too. And 
happens that situation on him and they really need him to be that third guy in particular yeah. if they can't get that third guy in free agency like if, if Lonzo is who you get in free agency Lonzo is not going to be your third guy from a scoring standpoint he's not going to be your third best player or at least you're at least if you have dreams of being anything more than a first or second round team like Alonzo can't be your third best player so the Bulls themselves have kind of put it on Patrick to be as good as possible, as quick as possible. So, um, yeah, that's I take what you've, I take what you've said. Um, I think you, you know, what you've noted is completely fair and maybe we are being unfair on Patrick, but, uh, I think the Bulls have kind of, I've kind I think they've made that the reality and I'm just responding accordingly to it, unfortunately. But, uh, look, it is what it is. We'll find out in a, in a, in a matter of days as to what they do in free agency, whether they sign guys or whether they trade for guys. It, it's all going to happen in the coming days and beyond free agency, obviously, like we sort of spoke about this summer league as well. So it's going to be an exciting few weeks for NBA fans at large, but for, our selfish reasons. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what the Bulls do as well. But uh, more, yep. I'll let you go, mate, because I know you're very tired. I'm assuming you want to catch up on, but maybe have a little bit of a nap before you and uh, Brian uh, catch up and record your own podcast. But um, oh, that I don't have time for that. That's in two hours, so I don't. Okay. I don't even have time. I, I need. Well, to you can have some... a quick power nap, surely. Oh, I I need to I need to hit the shower. I need to get some 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 breakfast and all that. I don't have time. This is going to be a full day uh, <laughs> of me just producing NBA content. There, I also have to write a piece for Forbes here later. So this is going to be a very productive NBA day for me. Um, but but I appreciate as always uh, coming on this show. I'm so grateful that you keep inviting me for reasons I still don't fully comprehend. Well, to be fair, you did ask me. I think last a few months ago, like let's podcasting, and I was like. Ah. Oh, yeah, whatever, I did. Whatever. That's true. But um, yeah. no, I'm just, being, I'm just being silly. I'm just being silly. I've been meaning to get you on for a, uh, back on for a long time. We haven't caught, caught up more generally for a while, so uh, it's it's been good to have you back on. Um, and you know, this was a good excuse to have you back on. But uh, tell the people before you go where they can, where they can follow you. I'm, I'm assuming they know already. You've been on the show a number of times beforehand, but you just mentioned there you're producing a bunch of stuff. What are you producing? Where can people get their hands on it? Where they where can they follow you? All that good stuff. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at MSJNBA, um, and I run, along with my co-host, Brian Toporek, the NBA podcast, which is a very creative name for a podcast, I know. Um, and we have been branching out to YouTube as well. So here today, uh, we are also doing a live stream over there, just covering uh, the draft, much like we did. And we're, we're just doing a bunch of stuff over the at the uh, the NBA podcast, which on YouTube is called the NBA show, because otherwise it wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense. Uh, otherwise, I'm writing for Forbes, where I just cover the NBA uh, overall. Sometimes I dig my toe into the Chicago Bulls here and there when it uh, when it's relevant. So you can catch me on on there as well but i link out to everything uh on twitter so if, if you want to te- uh, check out my content definitely go there for sure and uh look i'm hopeful that the bulls will be relevant over the next coming weeks and uh you are producing content on the team so that, that would be ideal uh for for, for both of us really because if that's the case then Oh, I'm assuming good things have happened in that case. Maybe they've done something completely terrible, and then that makes you drive, <laughs> you know, drives you to uh, you know create a video or write something up there on Forbes. But um, yeah, nonetheless, I'm hoping they do something of of, uh, of relevance that gets you uh, putting the pen on paper or you know voicing your words you know via video. And but uh, not like I said, thanks for coming on, mate. I've kept you long enough. But um, if you can't go get some sleep, then um, nonetheless, I appreciate you coming up and coming on and getting up early for me. Uh, I appreciate it, Matt. But uh, look, Anytime. I said, 
No, no worries. Uh, maybe we can catch up as, as towards the uh, the start of the season and see how the the Bulls have, have sort of shaken up the roster. Let's see what happens. But uh, mate, again, thanks for coming on. People, go follow Mort. Whilst you're out there, follow Mort. Do me a solid as well. If for whatever reason you're not following me, hit me up on Twitter at MK Hoops. I've had a lot of people yelling me at, today about uh, the IO pick. If you want to continue that into to my weekend, if you want to continue yelling at me about it, you can do so at MK Hoops. Follow me there. Follow the podcast too at Bulls HQ Pod. If you want to send me an email, if you want to yell at me via email, BullsHQPod at gmail.com. If you want to be part of the Bulls HQ Discord forum, Send me a DM on Twitter. I will drop you a link. But that just about does it for this episode of the show. I know there's been a bit of a um, a bit of a gap between podcasts of late, and you know that just happens when you have a newborn. Uh, unfortunately, I have limited amount of time, and I've had limited amount of sleep. But with uh, a lot of things happening for the Bulls over the coming weeks, there will be more podcasts coming up. So be on the lookout for all the shows in your usual spots. But until then, this has been Bulls HQ. Thank you for tuning in, Bulls fans. Let's see what happens in free agency and uh, we'll be back to speak about it then. So speak soon, Bulls fans. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.